Hey everyone, this is our podcast, Underleveled. Everything we say here is our opinion. If you disagree, tell us on social media. We promise not to ignore you. Mostly. Welcome to the Underlevel Podcast, the discussion podcast where we discuss video games and related culture that appeals to us. Today, I got with me Greg. Hey, everyone. And Patrick. Hey, guys. Nice to see you. And for today, we have our first distinguished guest, Dr. Lavala. Could you tell us a bit about yourself and where you come from? Yeah. Hey, guys. How you doing? Hey, doing nice good. to see you. Pretty good. My first time doing one of these. Kind of fun. Uh, yeah, I'm... Uh, YouTuber, and I uh, talk about Nintendo Cut content from the U.S. originally, but uh, live in China now because that uh, YouTube money goes a little bit farther and there's not much of it, so uh, it's a good place to be out here in China. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and just kind of starting off with some of the interview questions, what kind of got you into doing this, this work and uh, why YouTube and things like that? Well, uh, so I'll go back to the beginning, actually. Um, I first started doing YouTube about six or seven years ago. I guess it was about 2013. I was, uh, I was a American flag salesman for uh, about a year and a half or so. And then uh, I uh, flew drones as a... Uh, in fact, we're talking on Skype right now. You can see my, my Skype photos, me holding a drone. Mm-hmm. I haven't changed that in about oh, yeah. six years. And, uh, yeah, I did. Uh, so I was working at the flag company and I, uh, was flying drones as a hobby. And then I, uh, realized that, um, well, that I want to make YouTube, I won't go too much into detail about the drone thing, but I did that for a couple of years and then I moved out to China and, uh, I had a few other small channels over the years. I've, all I've been doing since 2013 is YouTube. And then, uh, yeah, I guess it was almost a year ago. Now I started this Dr. Lava thing and I've just been cover Nintendo cut content because um, I guess there's a few people who do it a uh, similar type of thing on YouTube but um, yeah I, I didn't think uh, I don't know I, I, I don't want to <laughs> I'm trying to choose my words carefully here <laughs> I don't know I, I, I thought that there was more digging that could be done I guess and um, so I thought I'd you know kind of throw my hat into the ring and uh, it's been almost a year now and uh, it's been going pretty good yeah no, it's it's really blown up. Uh, where I first discovered you was actually on Reddit. Um, there was links to your website, kind of showing some uh, cut content and translations to different interviews. And I was thinking, I was like, this is amazing. And then watched like your whole catalog of videos. So no, that's awesome. Uh, when you were f- uh, younger, like, what were some fa- favorite games and favorite systems that kind of like influenced you to do the stuff that you do now? Well, I'm in my early thirties, and I'm a uh nintendo fan so probably the same kind of stuff that people in my you know age group were playing which was um you know 64 games playing ocarina of time really liked that game so i went back and played the older zelda games and then looked forward to majora's mask that finally came out it's probably still my favorite zelda game actually it's a fantastic game um let's see mario 64 of course followed by sunshine uh, yeah, GameCube and uh, 64 is really about where I first started getting into it. And 
Luigi's Mansion is still a personal favorite of mine. Um, and it was a few years ago. I don't know if you guys ever uh, watched that YouTube channel. I'm sure you probably have Angry Video Game Nerd. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, had a, I was living with, uh, I was rooming with a friend of mine a few years ago, and he got me into watching that. And you're probably aware Angry Video Game Nerd has a real special thing for the old NES Castlevania games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, actually got me into it, and I actually kind of really got into the NES there for a while. And um, I ended up the original NES Castlevania game. I think it's from 1985. I ended up, <laughs> I think I beat it about 400 times, and I failed, a oh, failed bid to get the world record. I could beat it in about 13 minutes. Uh, what the world rec- the world record was something like 1220. And then I was getting, you know, second quicker each time. You know, I would I would wake up, I'd beat it twice, and then I'd have breakfast. And I'd, you know, I was working from home doing the drone YouTube thing at the time. Uh, you know, a couple, couple times before breakfast, and then after work, I'd beat a couple more times. A couple friends would come over, they'd watch me beat a couple more times, and before bed, I'd beat it a couple more. So I was beating the game like eight or ten times a day <laughs> for a few months, trying to get that world record. And then eventually, someone came out and beat the game in like eleven forty or something like that. And I just realized that I wasn't going to be able to shave a whole minute off my time. And but I still <laughs> love Castlevania games, and uh, that new. Uh, Castlevania collection just came out on the, mm-hmm. uh, on the switch and I've I got actually haven't played it that much but um, I just haven't had time the last couple weeks but uh, I'm a big yeah angry video game nerd got me into those games and I, I love those games those are probably my favorite retro games but of course Pokemon as well too <laughs> I've actually uh, I'm probably a bigger Pokemon nerd than you might have even Maybe expected. I mean, obviously, from watching my YouTube channel, I'm a pretty big Pokemon nerd. But when I was mm-hmm. younger, I played the card game. I ended up winning a regional championship with a card game and going to uh, the world championships. And oh, I guess that would have been about 17 years now, 17 years ago in Seattle. And uh, yeah, I was a big Pokemon nerd for a long time, way, way after the, the craze ran its course. And I was about mm-hmm. the only kid in school that was still into it. So. And I still am. <laughs> That's awesome. Is there anything that you're looking forward to upcoming? Uh, I know E3 just passed. Anything that caught your eye there? Well, uh, you know, a lot of folks on YouTube are always looking at what's coming up next or what's just coming out now. I've been, you know, had most of my attention. It's actually kind of a, <laughs> I wonder if maybe I've made a poor business this year and business decision with uh, my YouTube channel because everyone's always searching for what's coming up next. And my channel's focused on what didn't happen 20 years ago, which is uh, <laughs> not a very common search criteria, but um, uh, I've, I've, I go to Nintendo life a lot just to check out what's um, what's been going on in the Nintendo world. And yeah, I mean, breath of the wild too, obviously, because I think I put about 300 hours into the first one as a fantastic game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then Sword and Shield, of course. Um, looking forward to that. I, th- I think y'all wanted to touch on uh, some of that maybe a little bit later. Um, I guess some of the controversies about the National Dex fiasco. Mm-hmm. And I don't really even know what's going on with the sleep and home. And uh, I'm not sure if all the details have come out. But I'm, yeah, I mean, it's, I don't know what's going on entirely. And it's, I don't know if y'all, do. maybe y'all can help. Maybe y'all can help fill me in. Yeah, I think this is a good time to transition over. Big chunk of news that's happened. A lot has happened since our last episode in the 
Nintendo slash Pokemon realm. Yeah, that's that's to say the least. So, um, just recently, um, over the past week or so, E3 just happened, and there was a lot of news that Nintendo dropped about you know a lot of games. There's a lot of new and exciting things coming to the Switch, but uh, one of the things that a lot of people focused on was um, the Pokemon game because they released a lot of information, but there was also a lot of like potential leaks going on and then there was that whole thing where the person kept tweeting out uh the event schedule for each e3 event beforehand and nintendo threatened to sue that person so that was pretty wild i didn't hear Uh, about that yeah um they the lawyer for nintendo contacted him through an email that uh they shouldn't have had access to so they must have found it somewhere and they were like if you release this information nintendo will go through all possible legal options with you (laughs) (laughs) so that was pretty wild Uh, but in this new trailer we got a bunch of new information about the upcoming game sword and shield Uh, so we have the new uh, legendary pokemon box art pokemon you got zessian and zamazenta the sword and shield pokemon um, we've got a number of new Pokemon, uh, Gossifleur, which evolves into Eldegoss, Wooloo, Corviknight, Dreadnought, as well as um, the the Electric Corgi Pokemon. Uh, I'm blanking on the name though. Um, uh, Yamper, and then yeah, Yamper, the and then Dark Impa- and Fairy, Impidimp. Yeah, Impidimp. Yeah, the the new typing Pokemon. Then we saw some gameplay, and we also saw on the website that in terms of battle as well as encounters um, they're shifting it up a little bit they're kind of bringing in a little bit of the pokemon let's go model in certain areas where you can see wild pokemon out in the open as well as um, there will no longer be true wild encounters you'll be able to always know if you're about to encounter a pokemon because they'll make you aware in the grass it seems like um, so that's that's kind of nice it removes the necessity for repels i think which was or he's a, always a bane on my Pokemon bank account. So, <laughs> um, Another thing that uh, is really interesting is they're finally bringing in uh, potentially some multiplayer action uh, to Pokemon outside of just battling online. Um, with these raid battle systems, it looks like you can partner up potentially with uh, people in four-player co-op with like local Wi-Fi settings as well as just joining randomly online with uh, people all over the world to battle super crazy dynamax pokemon that'll stay dynamax the entire battle and looks actually pretty difficult potentially Um, so there's that's pretty exciting Um, we got some npcs they told us about the professor her assistant um, the champion as well as your uh, i guess rival we don't know the exact relationship i guess he's your rival hop Um, so that's really exciting we also saw a number of very interesting factors about the game um, come up in the Nintendo Treehouse interview. So we found out that very controversially, not all Pokemon will be in Galar. Now we don't know the exact details. We don't know if there's even going to be a national dex in this region. Um, If there is at this point, it would kind of go against a lot of what they've been saying. So there's kind of a, a, a questionable air about that. Um, they did say that um, the Galar decks would be all native Pokemon, and those would also be the only Pokemon you'd be allowed to transfer over from other consoles using Pokemon Bank. Um, so that was pretty controversial for a lot of people. 
basically how that works is Pokemon Bank is the is the new Pokemon Home, um, where you can send all your. Uh, Pokemon. It's the opposite. Or is it the opposite? Pokemon Home yeah. is the new. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. So you basically send all your Pokemon from your other generations as well as Pokemon Bank to Pokemon Home. But then basically how they described it is the only way you can get Pokemon out of Pokemon Home is send them to Sword and Shield. But then if Pokemon are only able to go if they're in the Galar decks, then that means that there would be some Pokemon that are kind of just stuck there. Then I hadn't I hadn't considered. Sorry to cut in. Yeah, Henry mentioned that to me. I hadn't. I hadn't cross my mind that uh that's the position people are going to be in or maybe game freak will uh, clarify that later but that once you have them into the home yeah you can only send them to uh the new sword and shield but then sword and shield don't have the full national decks and it sounds like they're going to be you know rotting in a and in a, in a, you know inside your account essentially i hadn't considered that so yeah. henry brought it to my attention yesterday that's yeah it's kind of a mess yeah, and there, there's a number of factors that we can go more into that, but um, a lot of people were, were upset, and there's like calls for boycott, which I think is a little bit extreme, but yeah, there's a lot of Pokemon news over the, the past couple of weeks. There was a lot of other news as well. Um, E3 had a lot of hidden gems, um, so we got the next two new characters that are coming to Super Smash Bros., um, which is the hero from Dragon Quest as well as Banjo Kazooie. A lot of people were excited about that. That was a, yeah, that was a big ask from a <laughs> lot of people. <laughs> we also received some more interesting news. Um, that Animal Crossing is going to be delayed again uh, until 2020. This time for sure. I think they basically said that this is this is the guaranteed release date. Um, in, I think it was April, March 20th, March. One of those, yeah, one of those two. Um, in 2020 and in a later interview they came out and said that the reason they've been moving it back and they've been doing this for a couple of games i think is just they're trying to maintain a healthy work-life balance for their employees and i'm not totally sure if that was specifically nintendo saying that or if it was the developer of um, animal crossing specifically that's having that policy and nintendo's respecting that not sure who's who's developing it then um I'd have to double check, but I believe it, it's the same studio that's made all of the Animal Crossing games over the years. I don't um, know, I thought that was uh, R&D, Nintendo R&D 1 or some kind of internal studio. Is that not the case? From my understanding, that's what I thought it was. I haven't um, played Animal Crossing since the first one on GameCube, which was fantastic, but I'm very much out of the loop. No, no, it, do, it does look like um, with this with this new one upcoming, it, it is um, one of their internal divisions, uh, Nintendo EAD. I think that's I think that's what they call R and D one now. I think they changed their name to EAD at some point. And then probably the the biggest most hype news potentially, depending on you know what you follow, is that they announced a, a Breath of the Wild sequel is in the works, and that's pretty nuts. Oh yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's that's about it. Um, focusing specifically on the Nintendo news. There's a lot of crazy things coming in terms of the Switch and other games. Um, there's a lot of indie games coming. Um, I think this is one of the first times that Nintendo Switch has had a large-scale eShop sale, which is kind of um, interesting, and I honestly never thought I'd see that. But, yeah, what do you guys think? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, just filling in some blanks, too. Uh, the, the, in the treehouse that Nintendo had, they went through some of the gameplay for the game, 
and with that they showed the wild area um, so that has been a focus for a lot of people and where you can travel around and you can see a ton of Pokemon in the overworld and they change depending on the weather and what region of the wild area you're in. Uh, so that was something that they showed off. And then also within that treehouse, they showed a max raid battle in which the trainer was battling against a Dynamaxed uh, Steelix in which they were trying to take down. What do you guys think of this whole uh, the whole Dynamax thing? Personal opinions, you know. I mean, I'm personally like kind of bothered by it, but not incredibly bothered by it. I don't like really all of the kind of mega evolutions and the Dynamaxing. I think it's kind of gimmicky, and I don't think it adds a whole lot to the game. And I and I think it's about guys, my feeling, yeah, yeah. And I think Henry disagrees with me a little bit. I think Dynamax is less. To me, it's less obtrusive because at least visually it doesn't change the Pokemon as much. Yeah, they get bigger, but it doesn't like change their form or anything. Like, I probably won't use it when I play the game as much as I can because I just don't use those things when I play the game. So I can kind of avoid it. I don't know. Are y'all real, real big Pokemon fans? I know it's today's topic, but, uh, you know, when you're hanging out at home, are y'all catching them all or is this just the topic of the day? I would say we're pretty big Pokemon fans. I was a pretty avid competitive battler, so I was constantly just watching uh, videos. Uh, what is it? Poke, Poke Smash Tube or whatever. So it was truly like entrenched in the culture. Pokemon was the first game I ever played. And Which one? I, uh, Pokemon Yellow. My dad bought it for me when I turned four years old. And so I've been playing it forever. Um, and... Yeah, I, I have like an obsession with the Pokemon Color Game Boy games and the Pokemon Advance Game Boy games, and I still play them all the time. Actually, Henry and Patrick might remember yesterday I was, I was playing Pokemon Gold. Yeah, as we were trying to figure out some setup stuff for podcasting, Greg kept busting out his annoying-ass Game Boy. And just hear the, the epic music in the background as we were trying to do stuff. It's actually kind of funny. <laughs> Is that but, the yeah. same copy you've had since, you know, 2000 or whatever so gold is actually a newer copy for me um uh i have three copies of silver because there's a bunch of different family members and we'd all play together um but the internal batteries are dead so i just bought a new copy of gold to play for a while while those get fixed so yeah yeah for me pokemon was also uh, a big part of my life it was actually the second game i think i've played my first one was uh minish cap uh, that always holds a, a special uh, that's, that's a good one yeah but um no i i basically have every single pokemon game since the third generation in a collection um i haven't beaten every single version um uh, because some of them I, I will admit i did get a little bit bored but um for for me like i think when it comes back going back to dynamaxing Give me more gimmicks until the gameplay gets drastically different and it feels more refreshing because right now, like just going through and, and just battling Pokemon, you know, it, it feels like it's just been one long continuous game. It doesn't feel like I have gotten like a brand new like Pokemon game in probably a number of years, honestly. Mm. I want to ask you all because... Uh, there's you know there's some announcement about multiplayer some kind of raid mode or something like that and uh i mentioned something and i think my generation four cut content video for pokemon and i had a number of comments of people who identified with it 
I think I've probably I've been playing Pokemon, you know, for over 20 years now. And I think I could count on one hand the number of times I actually got out a link cable or did some kind of local Wi-Fi. Anytime I did any kind of multiplayer, it wasn't for lack of wanting to. It's just, uh, you know, I, I, when I would trade Pokemon and when I would have felt my Pokedex, I'd have to buy both versions of the games and trade them to myself. I don't know if that, that's been y'all's experience over the last 20 years, but that was uh, that was mine. And I'm not, not super psyched about the whole dyna- Dynamax. I've been saying it Dynamics just because I'd read it and I hadn't heard it spoken. The whole uh, Dynamax thing and the raid mode and multiplayer is, um, I don't know, it's kind of moving, my personal opinion, kind of in the wrong direction for what for what I want. Yeah, um, for me, I know, especially in the Game Boy games, I definitely did not uh, link trade with anybody. It was always super tough to find that equipment, essentially. It wasn't super... Uh, ubiquitous so i never did that but i know once a ds came out and made it so much simpler i definitely did a ton of that um i know one specific feature that i really utilized was the um the wonder trade in the newer games whenever i had like old egg pokemon that i hatched for competitive reasons i would just go wonder trade them on and get really cool stuff so that's kind of on that and then for dynamaxing uh it's i think the the max raid battles are would be kind of fun you know especially if it introduces kind of some strong pokemon it is kind of like a way to switch it up uh but with the feature itself personally i feel like i don't like it as much as some of the other features that they've introduced um especially because it's been announced too that because of dynamaxing there's not going to be mega evolution and z moves in the game in sword and shield and personally, I was really tied to Mega Evolutions because it made some completely unviable Pokemon pretty competitive and pretty uh, fun to use. I'm thinking Pokemon like Mawile, uh, Beedrill, Pidgeot, things like that. So just so Dynamaxing could be a thing, they kind of did away with that. So I'm kind of bummed about that. And it does feel gimmicky to me in in that the regard that every generation brings some like strange thing but then it doesn't ever build upon the other things that they introduce so it's it's strange in that regard i you know i kind of got two things to say about this one is that i would have preferred again my own personal tastes uh if they'd taken the resources and the time that they were putting into this kind of stuff and uh you know, maybe use that to expand or maybe even fully complete the national decks. And another thing that's always kind of puzzled me is, I mean, Pokemon is, if it's not the number one best-selling video game series of all time, it's definitely in the top three. It seems like they have pretty much infinite resources. And so, I I mean, maybe y'all are aware of something I'm not aware of, but I, I just don't know why they couldn't bring in some, you know, part timers or temporary workers or however it works. And just get those models, uh, you know, programmed in and just, I mean, they have basically infinite money. Uh, I I really don't Mm -hmm. see why they are acting as though they were working with limited resources in this instance with the national decks. Yeah. I completely agree. It's been been a real interesting thing. Uh, People have been saying essentially that... um, that that it's strange to them because Pokemon is the most successful like media like franchise like they've of any like 
single media thing. It's surpassed Star Wars. It's surpassed uh, like Disney products. Um, and it's strange that a game and like series is so popular does go so bare bones. Um, so this Dexit, that's what people are calling this whole national Dexit. Dexit. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's hilarious. That's perfect. Uh, what what they're kind of getting mad at is they're kind of starting to realize all these things is that people uh, have are noticing that like the graphics aren't as good as like some people wanted and all these things. So they're kind of becoming like hypercritical of Game Freak and then Nintendo, Pokemon, et cetera. Um, kind of talking about that. But yeah, I, I totally agree where it is kind of strange to me uh, to see that not all the Pokemon are included. Um, I do however like make the distinction that i want to see the final game before i make like any complete conclusions in it because i think if they had maybe some unique thing that they're gonna add that made it so having every single pokemon in the game would be really like arduous then it would kind of make more sense but as as it stands right now um it's not very cool and it's also interesting because when all these new Pokemon are being revealed, they're almost being overshadowed by the old Pokemon that are being revealed because people are kind of saying, oh, like there's one of my favorite old Pokemon. It survived the purge, essentially. That's funny. <laughs> uh, yeah, like I said, I haven't been completely up to date on the on the new news. You know, like I said, I'm usually more concerned with the old news. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely excited for Sword and Shield. And I actually thought, that, I mean, you know, a lot of people were hoping for Breath of the Wild Pokemon edition um i mean that was always unrealistic i thought the game looked really great when they first revealed it in that seven minute uh teaser trailer a, a few months ago um so I'm, I'm i'm looking forward to it i think it looks great but there are you know nitpicks national decks is of course the big the big deal and i understand um i lost my old my full bank of pokemon some years ago and so i'm not personally uh i don't have an axe to grind um but I can see why someone who, you know, saved up all 800 Pokemon or everybody is now, why they would feel, you know, a bit uh, screwed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's hard to say because for me personally, like, I can sort of see how they can rationalize this decision as they want each region to, in its own way, be unique. Um, I think they kind of screwed it up because for some reason they they don't want all the pokemon in the game in the end which i feel like that should be the goal like every 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 pokemon version should have a way for you to fill out the full like registrar of pokemon um i just think the inability to transfer pokemon was the mistake but in terms of like rationalizing why you wouldn't necessarily want you know all the pokemon in the game i guess they just want to make it feel distinct because each region sometimes just kind of blends into the other was that a junichi i didn't see that quote was that a junichi masuda it wasn't it was it's not it's not a direct quote this is just my interpretation based on the interview and when he was talking about and like some of nintendo's responses it just makes me feel that i think they're 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 trying to find a middle ground because uh, bringing all the pokemon in in future games future models as they as they bring into new systems um if they do want to do that big graphic buff well that that when they do that shift that is going to be like a big step for them and what we saw 
what we've seen with the last couple of games is a lot of the times they release whole generations just as like trials or or seeing how the community reacts to them i'm looking at like pokemon let's go where they just threw out a model and brought something completely new to the game just to see how it would sell how people would like it um Honestly, it, like it sold really well, but there was there was still a lot of stark criticism for their changes, um, and I think Pokemon in this case is is testing out you know what what are they able to do for in the long run when they have to deal with you know Game Freak, which is not the ideal studio, and they they do transition into that more you know high res, high definition like genuinely good looking Pokemon game, like can like are there corners they can cut or are they gonna have to wholesale jump in? Yeah, Junichi Masuda, you know, a big part of what I do for my videos is search for quotes, especially difficult to find quotes. I'm always glad when I find one. Uh, so really difficult to find quote that's illuminating. And, but especially starting with Generation 3 and particularly 4, it seems like the only person who really is makes any quotable quotes is Junichi Masuda. And... Mm-hmm. It's a bit frustrating. I'm glad that someone's talking, but it is a bit frustrating. Junichi Masuda often gives pretty, my opinion, disingenuous answers to interview questions or, uh, you know, when he explains something that fans were unhappy with or why they didn't do this or why they didn't do that, he'll often give an answer that just just pisses people off. It's not satisfactory to anybody. And usually just doesn't sound true. Um, So I'm glad that someone is talking, uh, you know, particularly about cut content and scrapped ideas, but I do wish that he was a little more forthcoming. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. uh, I mean, I guess I can understand his position that he doesn't want to maybe be bad for business to tell us the, <laughs> the truth sometimes. <laughs> no, very true. Um, overall, what are you all thinking with the games in terms of the Pokemon that have been released? What do you think of the designs for the legendaries and whatnot? I like uh, Dreadnought the best, actually. Um, I, that might have something to do with... Um, I don't know if y'all are familiar with that 1997 inter, uh, intergroup something, a, J- a Japanese magazine that uh, Kensugi Mori did some uh, original art for them in 1997. They put it on their cover, and it was uh, beta... He said it was... They were not Pokemon, but one is just straight up Tyranitar two years before <laughs> Tyranitar existed. Another one is clearly Beta Hitmontop, but he looks like kind of a half Clefairy, half Hitmontop. He's uh, a spinning top. And the third one is a turtle, which I guess you could say maybe turn into Tortuga eventually in Generation 5. But actually, I think he looks more like Dreadnought. Mm-hmm. Um, which is uh, kind of interesting. I, I might be might be completely my imagination, but I think Dreadnought looks the coolest. Um, and I also think it's interesting that he looks a bit like that old 1997 Japanese magazine uh, cover art. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know if y'all are familiar cool. with that with that particular piece of Sugimori art. Yeah, I I believe I've seen it, and I, we'd love to link it in the. Um the notes so people can kind of get a reference for what we're talking about. Yeah, sure. Um, but uh, I don't know. What did y'all think about those two legendaries? 
I kind of like them just because they're different. They're not just rehashing like the same assets over and over. But I'm I'm not a huge fan of them, and I'm not actually a huge fan of even getting legendaries in most games. Like I usually just get them, and then they rot in my PC. Yeah. Um, I don't like using them. I it's just like a personal thing that happens when I play Pokemon. But I don't know. They're kind of cool. I feel like there's like a third one that's like more epic. Because, like, they looked like in the trailer that they're, like, going to work together or something. I don't know. I'm just kind of spitballing. They it's look gonna okay. It's going to be the third legendary with a gun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it fits in with the whole uh, UK uh, aesthetic that they have going, which I think is kind of cool. But, I don't know. On their own, they're kind of weird. Yeah, I'm not yeah. not particularly crazy about them, to be honest. But, uh yeah, I agree. I usually just catch the legendaries and then I shove them in a box as well. Yeah. I guess, I don't know what it is. I just think the colors and like the, the design based upon like around that is just kind of tacky looking. I don't know if it's, I don't know if that's just me, but like just a standard like red, blue, yellow like look that it just, it just screams, let's just go primary. So they stand out from the other like color palettes will give all the other Pokemon you know, and honestly, some of the some of the worst Pokemon art I've ever seen is is the box art for these two games. I, Damn. I mean, it's it's not good. I I there's no like background to it. It's just a blank canvas with their pictures on it. I do think the designs are novel, but I I did see this on uh, on the internet, and I did make this point. I I wonder, I wonder if Zacian, if that sword is his tongue, because. Uh, Game Freak has pulled that nonsense before with um, Frogadier, Froki, and uh, Greninja. Greninja, yeah, with his scarf being his tongue, and so that gave me a little bit shivers when I when I first theorized that. All in all, though, I I would say at least they're trying for an aesthetic, which I think is new. They haven't like. Well, I suppose they have in like Sun and Moon with uh, like the tapus and stuff like that, them being like island masks and stuff. But it's 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 the most cohesive theme I think I've seen in a uh, in a legendary group in a while. You're starting to sound a little bit like Junichi Masuda yourself now, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I don't think they look good, my personal opinion. But uh, I do like some of the the sheep Pokemon. You know, I mean, it's a sheep Pokemon. You know, it's not going to blow your mind. But he looks good. Mm-hmm. I think Dreadnought looks good. I've seen a couple other ones that look good. And but yeah, oft, for some reason, often it is the case um, the legendaries end up being some of the least interesting Pokemon in some of the more recent generations. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, uh, I really liked Corviknight, the, yeah. the bird. That that thing looks awesome. Um, but. I think what's interesting about the legendary, especially Zacian, is it gave him an outright weapon. To me, in my head, and this isn't like rooted in anything, but I always thought the stark difference between Pokemon and Digimon was that one was allowed to have like their like characters with weapons. You know, so in Digimon they either have like staves or they have like cannons and guns and stuff like that. So it was kind of weird when I saw Zacian with the like a weapon. Cause hey, what's his, like, oh, I didn't see that. What's his weapon? Is it like a, a milkshake or something? It's, oh, it's, oh, it's the, a, the, the sword, sword in his mouth. mouth. Yeah. yeah, a sword in his mouth. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so that is a little topical UK political humor there. Uh, <laughs> 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 anyway, <laughs> bad joke. Um, 
I'd actually like to talk a little bit about the Animal Crossing game. Um, if y'all are cool with that. Yeah, sure. Yeah, definitely. I think it looks really good. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, I think that, I mean, of course, I'm really excited for Breath of the Wild 2. Um, but uh, we, we didn't see much of that. I think the, the thing that I was most interested to see in uh, E3 was the new Animal Crossing. It looks really good. You know, like I said, I, I played a lot of the first one on GameCube. But then I've kind of set out the rest of the series. I think I might actually come back for the for the new Animal Crossing. What do you guys think? Definitely. I actually watched the whole Treehouse on Animal Crossing, and I've never played an Animal Crossing game. And like, I was just like, kind of blown away. I think it looks awesome. Like, mm-hmm. and I'm probably gonna grab it on the Switch and play Definitely. a lot of it. Yeah, I think it looks really good. Uh, the original Animal Crossing I really enjoyed, and it's a game I've actually been wanting to make a cut content episode about for a long time. Um, and it's got a really interesting backstory. I don't know if you, all, you guys played the first one. I, I know you just said that you didn't, but um, uh, I mean, did any of y'all play the original kind of original, the, the, the first one that came to North America, the GameCube uh, animal crossing. No. Yeah. Oh, Henry did. Yeah. Because, you know, you probably know this, that, you know, originally it came out in Japan. Well, it was supposed to be for the 64DD, and then it got downgraded, essentially, to the 64 and released as Animal Forest in Japan. <clears throat> and then they uh, re-released it on GameCube. I think I'm getting this right. Re-released it on GameCube as Animal Forest Plus, and then they later localized that into the, into the, the Western market. Um, and they added a lot of uh, Western-specific uh, content, like uh, our holidays and that kind of thing, and some other stuff that wasn't in the 64 or the GameCube versions in Japan. And then the Japanese were so tickled by the North American version of Animal Crossing that they localized the the US, the Western localization back over to Japan. <laughs> so you ended up actually getting four different versions of Animal Crossing, the 64, the Japanese GameCube, the U.S., which was kind of like an improvement and localized version of the of the Japanese GameCube one, and then uh, the one that they brought over to Japan. And when they brought it back over to Japan, the U.S. version, Western version, whatever, um, they added even more new stuff, uh, which including a lot of great content like uh, public works, um, mm. where you could you could hire Tom Nook to uh, build, um, let's see, like wells. And I think fountains, um, what's the word for it? Um, uh, not plumbing. Anyway, a whole bunch of kind of public works and other stuff. You could wake up Tom Nook late at night and shop in his uh, store. If you remember, the uh, he used to close it, I think it was at 9 p.m., but you could wake him up and he'd charge you a higher price. And he'd be <laughs> in his pajamas. And there's all kinds of stuff they added in the fourth version that was only ever released in Japan. Um, I... It might be a while before I make that video because uh, Animal Crossing just doesn't have the audience of something like Pokemon. But uh, it's a really uh, interesting story all around of the original Animal Crossing. And um, I've got high hopes for this new one. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I think I'll get back on the bandwagon. Yeah, no, I didn't I didn't know the history behind it at all. Uh, so that's all news to me. But that, that sounds really cool. And yeah, from there, it kind of took off and kind of solidified its place. Because then after the the GameCube one, there was like Wild World on DS. And then there was New Leaf on the 3DS, different things like that. And I know there was the 
the uh, mobile phone version. So, yeah, it's it's definitely gained in popularity. Watching the Nintendo Treehouse, that was awesome to see. The my beef always with uh, with Animal Crossing was that I couldn't ever play like very well with other people because I thought that it would be really cool if you could build up like an area with other people and they really like showed that off that you could really make like a cool island with your friends and um, play like on couch co-op together to gather materials and whatnot so I definitely can see this being a game that I play with friends little kids you know just like have them hack trees for me so I can build stuff it's it's truly awesome yeah it looks like you know a lot of the time Unfortunately, the new Pokemon game, it seems like somehow the studios or the, the, you know, the companies that are making these games, there's some kind of disconnect between them and what the fans actually want. It feels like with this new Animal Crossing, they got someone, you know, a super fan off the street and said, you know, what, what do you want in this new game that we haven't had in the past games? And the fan just threw out a bunch of ideas and said, all right, we'll do all of them. Um, because it looks like they've, they've improved on just about everything and any kind of suggestion you could possibly have, they've actually looks like they're incorporating it. So I'm, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm pretty excited. I'm just excited that the switch is bringing more couch co-op back. I love that. I love. Oh yeah. One thing we didn't mention was the Luigi's mansion. I don't know if any, did any of you got to see that? Yeah. Gooigi. That's what I remember from it. I actually no. I didn't see anything this past week about Luigi's Mansion Three, and I'm I love the first one. Um, I even played the I went to a Dave and Buster's and played the Luigi's Mansion arcade game, which I guess you could arguably say is the real Luigi's Mansion Three. But um, <laughs> I didn't see anything this week, so maybe y'all could uh, fill me in. Yeah, they released a new Luigi's Mansion, and uh, a focus on the gameplay was really shown uh, in the treehouse and basically like your vacuum has new mechanics that it can do you can slam ghosts into each other to deal damage so they're easier to suck up Um, and there's also like evasive moves that the uh, vacuum can do forget the name of the vacuum Uh, but then there was a focus on couch co-op because poltergust yeah the poltergust i think it's three thousand, if i recall yeah uh, with that, there was also the Guiji. So basically, throughout the game, you'll have to use Guiji to solve puzzles because Guiji can squeeze through tight spaces and whatnot. Um, so you can either do that yourself, or you can have somebody who you're uh, like sitting with do that. So it becomes like a co-op tandem thing, which like was a really like a cool. two Joy-Con kind of game. Yeah, exactly. And then in the treehouse, they focused on just kind of showing some of that. And they also showed a new or two new game modes. One was where mm-hmm. you have to find toads scattered about uh, through the buildings. And the other one was the the multiplayer co-op that had the floors are computer just, yeah, generated. Ghost, ghost clearing on a yeah. generated clear stage. Exactly. So they're computer generated. So they they switch through out each other and then because of that they're always will stay random and whatnot so it was a pretty cool yeah. um situation so and they said they could have up to eight people in those which is nuts in luigi's mansion three yeah in, oh, in those, multi, cool, those multiplayer modes um usually they said with four people everyone can have a guiji uh and then with you know five plus um you know it's just solo games but really dope i mean honestly dope yeah it's pretty dope uh yeah i i, I don't think i'll be able to get eight people together but i might be able to get four <laughs> and 
yeah, that'd be pretty pretty fat. PH. <laughs> PH. Sorry, while we're using like the nineties, the ninety terms for hip and, and, and heavy, I thought I'd throw fat out there. Heck yeah, dude, it's wicked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sweetness. Um uh what what, what direction do y'all want to go with this um actually i i was wanting to maybe uh you know there was some cut content from breath of the wild one and some unused concept art i guess not actually cut content in the strictest definition of the word but i think you know what i mean that i think actually has a one in particular has a pretty good chance at making it into the sequel so the, the, the thing I think has the best chance of coming into the sequel was, uh, I think his name is, I always mispronounce everything, but uh, Fujibayashi, the uh, director of the first one, I'm not sure if he's the director, if they even announced who's directing the new one, but um, he sounded, I think there was two quotes delivered by him in the 30-minute making of Breath of the Wild Nintendo documentary oh, they released yeah. Uh, yeah. About, about two years ago now. And uh, he sounded like he was, and there was some concept art to go with it as well, that they they originally explored the idea of having, having Minish uh, villages look like at, at least one, but as from the way Fujibayashi described it, more than one uh, Minish village spread out throughout Hyrule. Um, he sounded like he really wanted to do it. And I'd, I'd actually kind of be surprised if they didn't bring the Minish into Breath of the Wild 2. Just because he sounded so enthusiastic about uh, about it, and how sad he was that they didn't end up incorporating it in Breath of the Wild One, your thoughts? Yeah, I think I think odds are basically guaranteed that they they have to incorporate some new kind of character system in the game because, like, we basically met all the NPCs in the game right now, and it, it wouldn't really feel super fresh if we just had to go back and talk to the same people. And I mean, it would if we got to play as Zelda, but I mean, that's neither here nor there. Um, I I do think I agree with you that I I think there is a good chance that they would bring that back the Minish because I think that would be a really cool way for them to use this engine that they developed you know for um for the Switch I think it would be really good because they can basically uh, model out specific areas as small but not have to like affect the overall overworld of that game which people love so much um, and I also think the Minish serve as a really good foil in, in a lot of storytelling things because, well, they, they just function uniquely. Yeah. I think, uh, so has it been confirmed the new, the breath of the wild sequel is going to take place in the same Hyrule. That seemed to be from the, sh- the, the shots I saw in the trailer. It looked like we're back in Hyrule, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's, yeah. So it's the same, it's confirmed. It's the same overworld. We're not sure at least, at least I haven't seen anything guaranteeing whether or not this game is before or after, because there, you know, there is a Zelda in this game, um, so uh, technically they could go, that could go one of both ways, um, but it is in the same world. Yeah, and that seems like an even, you know, uh, a point in the pro column for why it seems more likely that the Minish would come because they, you know, if they're using the same overworld, they're looking for ways to differentiate it from the first one, having, you know, Minish villages spread throughout Hyrule um, would be a good way for them to, you know, kind of reuse the world, but still bring in new content. Mm -hmm. So on the topic of the aliens, I think, 
you know, the uh, Ganon's a great bad guy. I, I actually kind of prefer prefer Ganondorf, but um, there was that manga which they unfortunately it wasn't high quality enough when they showed it to actually read the words, but you kind of you could see there's something of like an alien autopsy, mm-hmm. and uh, Ganondorf and uh, Link are kind of you know bent over the. <laughs> what looks like the dead alien on the operating table and uh, looked like, you know, Ganondorf and Link have had to team up in order to, you know, at least temporarily in order to repel this alien threat. And uh, I mean, that sounds like a really interesting new direction to take the story. And um, it certainly could be dark. Uh, I I would really hope that they would, if they were going to make it the main bad guy, that that would be terrific. But even if it was just kind of a small, kind of what they did Majora's Mask with the um, aliens coming to, I think it was mm. Romani yeah. Ranch, whatever they called it, Majora's Mask. Yeah, Romani Ranch. Um, even if it was just a small thing, that would be cool, but I'd really prefer it was the main attraction. Yeah. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll come back with the main discussion, and that is talking about content with Dr. Lava and taking it down to our level. So we'll be right back. So we're back and taking down to our level, we're going to be talking about co- cut content uh, with Dr. Lava. So beginning with this, I'll, I'll let Patrick take it off, actually. Yeah. So I always like I I recently came to your videos um, when we first got in contact with you. And the number one thing that stuck out with me was your unique name as as well as the, the character you have. Um, how, how did you end up uh, getting that doll? Well, uh, it started with uh, me and my best friend Dave. At the time we were, he's moved back to the UK, and I now live in a different city in China. But we used to live in this really idyllic Chinese city called Yangshua, which is kind of legendary for its uh, karst mountains. And uh, we, but we mostly just got drunk and played foosball. <laughs> uh, and uh, one night we're in my apartment, and I think we're watching Rick and Morty or something like that. And uh, I think I was watching Rick and Morty and he was playing my Switch, Breath of the Wild. And we got talking about, you know, I've been doing YouTube for some years. I was talking about starting a new channel that we could do together. And uh, somehow, I think, you know, you guys are probably familiar with Arlo on uh, uh, YouTube, the blue doll. Yep. Yep. He's, I think he's really... I think he's really the only gaming channel that I watch. I don't actually watch a lot of uh, video game channels on YouTube, but I do watch him. And um, you might be able to see a little bit of influence there in that, first of all, I've got a character, but also I, I sort of embarrassed to say I use the same kind of transitions as him, which is like a whoosh mm-hmm. uh, from segment to segment. Um, I should probably get my own transition. But uh, <laughs> I was like, you know, like I, I used to do these these drone videos did them for a few years and I was like me, it was like me talking to the camera, but this time I'd rather have like a character kind of like that Arlo guy does, you know, I think it's just more fun to have a character. And so we talked about like sock puppets or something like that. And we were just kind of looking around online and we stumbled across on, I think on Amazon, this line of, I think it was American girl dolls mm-hmm. uh, or something like that. And they were, they were like therapy dolls where it was like, it was like a, a 
just a standard like female doll, but she was in a wheelchair. And she also came with crutches and uh, I don't even know what to call it, some other therapy equipment. And just mm-hmm. the for some reason, the idea of a doll in a wheelchair just cracked us both up. Wow. And uh, we're like, oh, absolutely, we should have, we should have, you know, we'll have two characters. They should both be dolls in wheelchairs. Oh, yeah. And he's British. And so actually, originally, he was supposed to be the evil scientist. Oh, um, gotcha. And because, uh, you know, it's just better for British, you know, British people. They're mm-hmm. just, they're better for an evil scientist. And I was going to be, I don't know if you guys ever saw that movie with Tom Cruise, Born on, born on the oh. 4th of July. Yes. Or yes. probably more people are familiar with the parody of that in that episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, where Charlie is a <laughs> disgruntled veteran and, you know, like the green fatigues and all that and he's he's talking about how you know he's mistreated in vietnam or whatever and uh, so i was going to be the disgruntled vet in a wheelchair and he was going to be the evil scientist um anyway we ended up kind of you know like so he went back to the uk i ended up moving to another city here in china and so i ended up i took the evil scientist thing the the uh disgruntled veteran kind of went by the wayside and and as far mm. as the name Dr. Lava, I, think I, I was just kind of looking for something simple and short and catchy and, was, you know, doctor something, doctor. And I just I just landed on Lava yeah. and I was like, yeah, that'll work. There, apparently there actually is some other YouTuber whose name is in real life legitimately, I think, Dr. Lava, Dr. Lava to Doe, I think. Oh, so unfortunately, okay. I've, I've got to share my search results with some kind of psychologist or something like that. So <laughs> it's, not a com- it's not a completely original name, but um, yeah, just short and simple. And, I, you know, originally, I think I was just telling you guys on the break. Um, yeah, the original idea was for Dr. Lava to be something of like a supervillain, kind of like a Darth Vader type character, which is why he's named Dr. Lava as opposed to something less super villain sounding and also why he looks like a super villain yeah dr puppies um yeah like i was telling you all in the break uh just i'll just briefly uh touch on it so the original idea was that he would be this is you know uh in reference to the flat earth conspiracy Mm-hmm. That uh, the Earth is flat and there's an ice wall around the perimeter that the government or the UN or NASA or whoever protects from discovery by the public so they can maintain this lie that the Earth is flat and all the money that is supposedly being spent on space exploration is actually being pocketed by the world's super elite. And of course, NASA is sort of a, the the heart of that. And so Lava, Dr. Lava was meant to be this, I guess you'd say the star of a cartoon series um about uh, where he was kind of like yeah where he was sort of like the darth vader character he was the captain of the uh nasa guards who protected the ice wall and i worked for a couple months on a cartoon i I uploaded a little bit of what was left of the video file to my second channel on youtube a few days ago actually Mm -hmm. um but it ended up just being it was just doing my head in it was making a cartoon while just hunched over a computer all by myself ended up being I was biting off way more than I could chew and <laughs> yeah. uh, floated, flirted with a few other ideas for Dr. Lava and eventually I landed on Nintendo Cut content and it seemed to be kind of a good fit and something I enjoyed and it seemed like there was sort of a, I guess you could say an underserved because you know gaming is the most oversaturated 
yeah you know part yeah. of youtube and uh but cut content specifically nintendo cut content seemed to be a place where from what i've seen at least there's just a few people doing it and they mostly seem to just kind of echo each other or just kind of repeat rumors or whatever and i thought it would be a more interesting way to do it just to have everything sourced and to um, really be able to find some interviews or some concept art or uh, you know internal data that you know a lot of it I, I find from the cutting room floor helix chamber is a wonderful blog with all kinds oh, of great information i've used that before but um you know, always get really excited when i can find something that's never been translated into english before like those ken sugimori interviews or mm -hmm. i'm currently working on where he reveals some scrapped ideas for gen 5 um and there's a there's a there's a shigeru miyamoto interview that i'm i've been looking for i'm not actively looking for it now but i was looking for it for a long time i'm still really want to get my hands on it where he did an interview in 2003 with the japanese version of playboy magazine and he says a few things about the about mario 128 which of course was never you know finished or yeah. uh, uh, i mean there's there's a lot of speculation as to just what it is and how far into production they were was it just a tech demo and so forth mm -hmm. but he says a few things that um nothing uh, explosive but he says some things that you've never heard before in reference to mario 128's production and he says it in a playboy magazine interview <laughs> uh and so i've really been trying to get my hand i've i found a playboy magazine interview with shigeru miyamoto some months back and i was like yes you know i finally found it googling around in japanese characters and all this i finally got it and i had it translated mm. and i realized after it was all done that it was actually a 2004 interview and apparently miyamoto's done apparently at least two if not more playboy magazine oh, interviews gotcha. and i had the wrong one so but i do yeah it's a really fun to be able to find something like that and you know because the the impression i want the viewer to get is like wow you know playboy magazine interview with with shigeru miyamoto i you know i never heard this information i didn't think it would be found you know in a playboy magazine and so mm -hmm. that's the kind of stuff mm -hmm. i'm always trying to track down and you know get my hands on and hopefully you know it's always kind of fun to be the first person to find that kind of thing yeah for sure i i was i was always super impressed when i was watching your videos you know about like the true detective work you know obviously you have your resources you know there's there's the other people who who like data mine the games and and like there's other like previously translated interviews but it was like always really impressive to me like you know the fact that you were going out and you were finding these things first of all like being aware that they even exist and then you know taking the time to translate them and and, and post like all the information like the raw information on your website like that was that was i thought that was really really cool when i when i first started seeing that you were doing that cheers for that yeah the right now i'm working on a series of ken sugimori interviews for anyone who's listening who doesn't know who ken sugimori is he was the lead uh, monster designer for Game Freak, or before Game Freak was the Game Freak that it is today, it was uh, it was a magazine, uh, kind of like a gaming fan magazine that I think is pronounced Satoshi Tajiri, the creator of Pokemon, the famous bug collector, yeah. and Ken Sugimori, the artist. They started a fan magazine together. Eventually, went under. It was also called Game Freak. And then when the mag, the Game Freak magazine went under, they started a video game company. They pitched 
the Pokemon idea to Nintendo in, I think, 1991. Uh, Shigeru Miyamoto got signed on as a producer, and that's why in the Japanese versions, the um, the uh, main character and the rival, would, I guess, would be something like Ash and Gary in our version is Satoshi oh. and Shigeru in the <laughs> Japanese version is oh. named after the creator and Satoshi and... Uh, and uh, Shigeru Miyamoto because he looks up to him as something of a mentor. Oh wow! Okay, which is uh, which is interesting. But uh, so Ken Sugimori is the artist. He he didn't do all the Gen One designs, but he's done a lot of designs over the years. He's still over there, and he finalized the designs of the original One Fifty One. And uh, he's uh, he's still a game freak. And um, so it, he did a series of interviews with a Japanese magazine in 2011 called Nintendo Dream Magazine, which is kind of like their version of Nintendo Power, mm-hmm. and uh, where he goes into some more than, more than others, but he goes into the origin stories of all the designs for the Gen 5 Pokemon, including um, beta design information, even some Pokemon ideas or some that even had art attached to them unfortunately he doesn't show the art but he talks about it for some pokemon that were scrapped entirely like a slug in fact i just published uh the third interview yesterday um where he talks about that the um you know the whole carablast there's a carablast who's the beetle and then Mm. there's a shelmet who's uh like a snail type thing thing. yeah yeah, I, i guess technically i actually had to look it up i thought he was a clam apparently he's a snail um, but apparently so, uh, this is in the, uh, volume 201, the January 2011 issue that I just published yesterday, where he's talking about the original idea was that kind of like you've got heat more and, uh, what's his name? Uh, Durant. I always pronounce Pokemon wrong cause I read them and then I, I don't, I never hear them spoken. And then I, so I've, I've like, yeah, I get a lot of comments on my video. Like I said, Plusal and Minune instead of Plusal and Minune. And I've about 25% of the comments on my Generation 4 video are people just saying Plusal and Minune. So you, <laughs> you said it wrong. Anyway, so I always say it wrong. But anyway, so Durant and Heatmore have kind of like a rival or counterpart relationship where you've got the ant and the ant eater. And they, Ken Sugimori and his uh, subordinates were doing a kind of a similar thing with. Uh, uh, Carablast, who's uh, based on a species of beetle that eats uh, snails, and then they had a snail family that was the counterpart, and then there was they were working on the Shelmet family independently at the same time, and then they ended up. But there's some other details, but basically they ended up throwing out the idea for the two-stage rival snail family that was meant to be the counterpart to Carablast. They brought in Shelmet and they came up to the whole idea of the, you know, the whole stealing the shell in evolution thing that's going on with the uh, Carablast and Shelmet. Are you, are you aware of that? Yeah. So they decided to, to go that whole route and they scrapped out, they scrapped the two stage snail family. And so there's a number of scrapped Pokemon that were scrapped entirely and other just kind of beta design information like the Hydreigon family were originally tank dragons and some other things like that that are revealed in these interviews that were never translated until the past month or so. I've been working to translate them. And uh, there's a an artist named Nick Cron, who's um, Cron Nick is his Twitter name. 
he's been uh, helping me out. He's been doing the kind of, I guess you say, like fan art interpretations of the of Sugimori's descriptions of the scrap Pokemon. And so it's been really cool to kind of discover some Pokemon that were tossed out, and hopefully someday we'll see art for. Right now we just have Sugimori's descriptions of the, uh, descriptions of them. But there's, I think, there, I think there's seven issues. I'm not, interviews in these uh, volumes. I'm not even totally certain how many interviews there are, but I've I've found and now translated and published three of them, and I think there's four left. Um, so mm-hmm. I'm really hoping to. I'm ha- I'm going to have to actually buy those from some flea market japan's website or something like that and have them translated so it's a, it's a bit tricky but um, I, ho- I hope to complete the whole set yeah what sort of significance that do you think that all of this has <laughs> significance <laughs> well i uh <clears throat> i had someone translate uh i went to reddit r slash translate uh, which i'll use to kind of double check some key phrases of the translator that i've hired because i don't speak i don't speak japanese Mm -hmm. um and i asked someone to uh to confirm a particular phrase and they confirmed the translation for me and then they sent me like a dm a personal message on reddit something they looked at my website and they said uh you know you you've really spent a lot of time contemplating a counterfactual universe within a fictional universe. (laughs) In other words, things that didn't happen within, yeah, a fictional world. And I was, yeah, when you put it that way, it, what was your question? What is the significance of it? When you put it in the eyes of of a guy, of a, a normie, I guess they would say it has no significance whatsoever, but I find it really interesting. And I think, I think there's a, not the majority, but I think there's a significant uh, percentage of the Pokemon fan base and, and video gaming fan base in general who are really interested in the kind of coulda, woulda, shouldas of um, video game history and how, you know, if they hadn't scrapped this idea or if they'd done this instead of that, which they almost did, you know, how would these games that we grew up playing that we have such fond memories of that in a way, you know, in some ways define our childhood and, you know, how they could have been different and, I'm not going to say how they would, how we might be different <laughs> as a result, but um, you know, it is interesting to you know think about these games that we love so much that we grew up with, how they might have been different, how they might have even been better. Um, it's just interesting to think about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree, and I think that it has um, a lot of significance because uh, leading up to the next question, I believe that through some of the co- content, you can kind of infer stuff about what the developers were thinking. Um, is that something that you do? Do you kind of uh, dig into what maybe their intentions for the game were and then what it evolved into or maybe their intentions to maybe do more with the region? I know with one of the uh, early Pokemon game ones you did, uh, you talked about how um, in the data, there was like an extra map that could have been used for a city or town. Do you infer stuff about what the developers were thinking during development? I usually try not to. Um, I, to the best of my ability, I usually try to you know kind of report the facts in as interesting a way as possible. I try not to go too much into my own theories and opinions because for the most part, I think that nobody really cares what my opinions or my <laughs> personal you know ideas are. They more just want to hear the information, and if I can tell it in an interesting way, then that's all they really want. Um, uh, 
so I try not to infer too much about what they were thinking. There, occasionally, I'll I'll dip into, you know, for example, I said Junichi Masuda often gives disingenuous answers to interview questions, particularly about scrapped ideas, cut content, that kind of thing. Um, so sometimes I do have to kind of just say something like, well, actually, they probably didn't do this because of that or something like that. But I try to avoid that as much as possible. Been working on a video for some time now. It's doing my head in a bit uh, on Pokemon Gray version, which, of course, doesn't exist. Um, but there does appear to be some evidence that Game Freak had been planning on it for a while. And there's some some quotes and uh, some particularly disingenuous or even, how should I put this, demonstrably false quotes given by Junichi Masuda, of course, as well as uh, Mana eBay. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Who's a, been a monster designer since Generation 4 or 5, depending on um, where you draw the line. But uh, so... I kind of don't want to give away too much of what's going to be in the video, especially since I haven't mm -hmm. finalized the script yet. But Game Freak, of course, they'd always had the history of releasing the definitive third edition, you know, yellow, crystal, emerald, platinum. Um, so a lot of people were expecting gray. In fact, I think it was about a year before Generation 5 was even announced. Uh, news leaked or was, you know, came out that... Uh, Game Freak or Nintendo, one or the other, I forget the moment, but uh, the trademarks for Pokemon Black, White, Gray, Brown, and then some kind of weird colors like Scarlet and Purple were trademarked, and uh, which made a lot of people think, oh, probably, you know, Black, White, and Gray will be the next three. And then a year later, Black and White were uh, announced as the next games. Um, so a lot of people, of course, assumed Gray would come next, and Game Freak. Later, they uh, after at the European uh, reveal because you know back then the Europe got the game. You know, it came out in Japan, then it came out in North America a few months later, then it came out in Europe even a little while after that. And at the European release, someone, some Spanish uh, gaming outlet asked Mana eBay uh, if there would be a gray version, and she said, "No, we're done with Generation Five after Black and White. There will be no more." generation five we're done with it hmm. of course you know they came out with black and white two, something like a year or two later <laughs> and um and even after that uh quote from on ebay game freak used uh, see, let's see if I, I can't remember the name of the company at the moment it's just like six words but uh some company uh game freak had used to register the domain name for PokemonBlackWhite.com, which had been the official website for Black and White, obviously. Uh, they tapped that company again to register PokemonGray.com. And then it was something like six months later, they ended up announcing that Black and White 2 would be coming out. Mm -hmm. And so I've got kind of a theory. There's some other information with the uh, internal data and some other stuff. I won't go into all that. But uh, just kind of you take all the pieces, uh, you know, enough grains of salt seem to make a, a pile, I think, is the expression. Um, so when you take all this different little bits of information here and there, the quotes, the internal data, the trademarks, the domain registrations, it seems like Game Freak was planning on Gray for some time. But the sales for the definitive third editions had always been lackluster. 
Yellow sold well, but the uh, especially Crystal and the other games after that didn't sell so well. And so I think they came to the conclusion that, like they did with Black and White 2 and like they did later with Ultra Sun and Moon, that they could reuse the same region instead of having to defend a third edition. They released a, uh, they make a, a paired release, you know, kind of like a Generation 5.5 type of thing instead of the definitive third edition. Basically, I think it came down to money in the end. And gotcha. There's an interesting Awada asks, uh, if you're familiar with those, before Satoru Awada passed on, he used to do those Awada asks interviews where he talked to the developers and he asks, uh, point blank, Satoru Awada asks uh, Ishihara, the Pokemon company president, and Junichi Masuda, the director of Generation of, of Black and White. He asked him, why wasn't there a Pokemon Gray version? And they give, Masuda gives an answer, which is, he basically says, oh, well, we really wanted to make use of the key system, and we needed two games for that. I don't know if you remember, but there's a really lame gimmick, um, my, my opinion there, uh, lame gimmick between Black and White 2, where you could unlock keys and trade them between the games, which nobody was really a fan of. I don't think Game Freak was really even a fan of the mechanic, because they never reused it in any future titles. Um, so I, I, again, I think that's a disingenuous answer from Masuda saying, oh, well, we had to make two because we wanted the key system. And then Ishihara says something like, well, we thought we would make two and have the number two in them, black and white two, because that's what makes these games original is that they have the number two in the title. (laughs) And that's, that's, that's the kind of, that's what I think really gives these games their freshness. And I thought that, I thought that was pretty weak, uh, reasoning. And then about five years later in uh, another interview, I think in 2017 with was it Game Informer or something like that, uh, Masuda gives another reason for why there wasn't a Pokemon Gray version. And it's also another disingenuous answer, in my opinion. And um, anyway, well, I, I'm really getting off on a big tangent here about Pokemon Gray version. But um, the point is, is I'm, I'm still working on this theory video. I really don't like dealing in theories because I know... Every time someone leaves a comment on one of my videos and says, you're wrong, <laughs> it really it really kind of rubs me the wrong way. You know, I try to you – know, that's why I really like to provide sources for everything I do so you can't call me wrong. Uh, so I can, you know, say, like, well, I'm right because i got the proof right here. And uh, I don't really want to make rumor-based videos or theory-based videos. And, mm-hmm. and this video is going to have to have a lot of theory involved in it uh, with, you know, internal data and quotes and all that backing up as much as possible. But I'm going to have to uh, – interject my own inferences as to what the developers were thinking in that video which try to avoid but this time i think it's going to have to be done but i'm really looking forward to making that video because i don't think there's been a pokemon gray version you know kind of a analysis video at least on on this level on youtube before and so i'm really looking forward to that one once i can finally i've gone through about 20 revisions of the script already and uh just trying to make the best case i can and try and get everything right I'm excited to watch it. Yeah, that's going to be awesome. Um, so speaking about YouTube videos, um, and link will be in description, you just recently released a video talking about the lock capsule. We just wanted to briefly discuss it and dis- and direct our listeners to watch the video. But uh, how was that making that? How were, how did you even find out about the lock capsule? You know, Could you kind of explain just a little bit about that without revealing kind of the main reveal of the lock capsule, you know? Well, the lock capsule was originally meant to be an intergenerational trading sequence that would connect 
Heart Gold and Soul Silver to Pokemon Black and White version, uh, the game, the, the the item, the lock capsule is in the internal data of Heart Gold and Soul Silver, and with something like an action replay or now you can use that um, DNS Wi-Fi server glitch, which I talked about both those in the video. But you actually can kind of hack or uh, cheat or glitch it into your Heart Gold game, and then you you get it in the game via I think Wonder Card, and then you pick it up from uh, NPC at a Pokemart, and then you uh, I won't I won't go through the whole thing, but basically you get a password and all this other stuff from an NPC in black and white, you transfer it over to the uh, black and white. And then you talk to this clown named Mr. Locke. He opens it. There's a letter and a TM and some other stuff. It's, it's unfortunately, it's, it's pretty weak uh, reward you actually get for doing it. But I do think the event is interesting to watch just for its own sake, a uh, scrapped event. Um, I originally heard about it. I think it was on the, the cutting room floor wiki which is a really good website where they kind of um document the internal data of various video games um it's kind of like a wikipedia but just for video game internal data and i originally heard about it there and then i you know did some research i've actually found some guy on an internet forum somewhere who snapped some photos of himself doing it in 2014 which would have been four years after black and white released in which he's saying, Oh, I think I'm the first person in the world to have actually opened the lock capsule. And as far as I can tell, he actually was, um, wow. and he taken some photos of his DS as he did it. And, uh, that gave me a better idea of how it would have worked. And from there I went, I looked at a text dump from black and white to find out what Mr. Locke would have said, had you brought in the lock capsule and, um, it's actually a really difficult video to make because the it's really difficult to record on a DS. I've, uh, if I recall, I don't have the equipment, so I haven't looked. To... Anyway, I think I think you had to get a special piece of equipment directly from Nintendo through some kind of ambassador program or something like that in order to have the hardware to record a DS. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that's probably the main reason why I don't think very many people have done the lock capsule event, but in order to not only is it difficult to pull off because you need two DSs and two games and all that, but there's no real good way to record it unless you just want to record your DS with a phone and then it just looks terrible. So, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> so I, you know, I don't have that ambassador thing. And so I actually spent countless, countless hours. Actually, I didn't actually do the event myself. I don't okay. even have a DS. Actually, I, I played through, about 10 or 12 hours of Pokemon Black version on an emulator um, to get to Castilia City and some other stuff after that that I need to have the footage of. And then I I talked to a whole bunch of NPCs, recorded myself doing that, and then I went back in my video editing program and cut out letter by letter. Uh, you know, I was like, well, okay, I need a capital C. I need a, I need a lowercase a. I need a lowercase p, lowercase s, and so forth. And I had a text dump of the game, so I knew what Mr. Locke would have said. And so I basically I cut one, almost like those old, like those movies where they have like the ransom note, uh, <laughs> where they cut out of the magazine each letter and say, you know, we have your daughter or whatever. But uh, you know, this time I was trying to say like, oh, you have a lock capsule. And oh, uh, so I, incredible. I cut one letter out of each NPC conversation. I was walking around everywhere talking to people until they use a capital C or whatever. And uh, Capital M was a real pain in the ass, to be honest. 
but um, finally I had all the letters and I, you know, went through and moved them, you know, one tenth of a pixel at a time or whatever in order to make the conversation with Mr. Locke uh, what it would have been according to the, the text dump. And uh, some of it, not all of it, but most of it was confirmed in this guy's photos of he snapped of his DS from 2014. But so, yeah, I had the text dump and I knew that he said he was a sad clown and what was in the lock caps and all that. And uh, so, yeah, I basically did it like a ransom note. And um, and then I put even more complicated than that. I won't go into the whole thing, but uh, that's I think that's why no one ever had a video of the lock capsule event being performed. And that's why technically, I guess you could say I still don't was because I actually had to, uh, you know, video edit an illusion that mirrored exactly down to the very frame second by second to what it would have been. Mm-hmm. And I got a bit OCD and cause you know, when you're talking to the NPCs, there's actually, it doesn't just, you know, a line of dialogue doesn't just appear. It actually kind of goes scroll, you know, it appears left to right. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but yeah. Yeah, it's actually, I actually slowed it down frame by frame and saw that each frame, which is one thirtieth, one thirtieth of a second, they give you four characters, which includes punctuation and spaces. And so I went through and edited so that, you know, the, the words appear on the screen four characters at a time as I'm talking to this NPC, but again, it's these those ransom note letters. And so it's really, I think it took me about 150 hours to make that 10 minute YouTube video and, Wow. Yeah, it was ridiculous. It was ridiculous. But um, but, uh, I can tell you from all the research and everything I did that it is frame by frame, you know, pixel by pixel, exactly how it would have appeared, you know, had the lock capsule event actually the the game freaks intentions for the game freak uh, for the for the lock capsule event actually been carried out. It would have looked just like that. Bravo. That's awesome. Um, yeah, yeah, that's, that's awesome. a ton of, a ton a ton of, of work. work so, so probably was... way more information than anyone wanted to hear, but that's how <laughs> that's how it was done. No, no, that's super interesting to just hear the background behind all the work that you did, and especially because yeah, it's a ten minute video, and I would have never guessed that that much uh, like thinking and underlying like skill you would have to have to kind of create that and make it cohesive. Actually, I learned all my video editing skills from a stoner uh, college drop. A guy who was in film editing school, he dropped out, and then he taught what he learned to me. And then That's I've awesome. just kind of been perfecting those <laughs> his skills that he passed on to me for perfecting those over the last six years. And I'm no expert by any stretch of the imagination, but I was able to recreate this log capsule event. So That's awesome. I was happy with that. Well, it's also just awesome to see how much you actually put into this, and it's not just like something that you only spend a few minutes on a couple of days a week and then release. It's This is like something you do really care about, and I think that's really cool. Mm-hmm. This, this is what I do full-time, actually. Actually, I don't I don't work. I just, um, I'm like, I'm yeah, I'm just doing this full-time, and so a 10-minute video typically takes me something, yeah, like 100, maybe 200 hours. Um, I'm kind of like one of those, like that cliche, the guy who gets on a bus and moves to LA thinking he's become a famous actor. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of like that, but and I moved to China because the cost of living is low. And I, uh, yeah, 
trying to make it on YouTube. I'm kind of living off savings at the moment. Uh, just putting all my time into researching the cut content of right now Pokemon games. And uh, yeah, Ho- hopefully um, keep at it and uh, keep, you know, translating untranslated interviews and doing this kind of thing. Hopefully I'll be able to make it one of these days. Definitely. We believe in you and we think that you will. Uh, uh, cheers and- for that. <laughs> and then just the last question is just uh, a general question for everybody and just talking about how, uh, why do we think like content is important, uh, what it reveals about the games, and do you think it should be something that's more accessible or is it something that should stay the way it is right now? I think it is rather important to kind of think about and to discuss just because it does kind of show what people are putting into these games and like how they're being made and kind of how decision making happens because even though like it's not the most important thing of the games it gets you um kind of in a position where you can understand where they're coming from and i I guess it humanizes the games in a way you could say Mm mm-hmm yeah, so, so for me, like when I when I think about content and all that stuff and accessibility, I think I definitely think that it's it's more powerful of a journey when people have to go and discover it. I I think that like accessibility in terms of like you know finding a YouTube video definitely is in my eyes the best way to do it. Uh, I don't think it should just be like you know freely available. I don't think there just should be just the interview where the developer says, well. This is everything that didn't go in the game. So sorry for people who would have wanted that. I I think it's because I think that kind of just robs from the game and then people don't, you know, see the good aspects of of what did come out of it. They're always thinking about, you know, well, I'm sad that we didn't get this. Um, And I think the fact that, you know, if you do look for those things and you do find those things after you experience those games, you know, it's not from a place of want. It's from a place of interest. And I think that's really, I think that really defines why I enjoy watching your videos because, you know, I find those media, those, those, those games precious to me. Um, but I've already, you know, enjoy those games and, and just seeing that extra content is just like a, it's just a fun little plus. Yeah, I, I agree with you. You know, something else that's kind of interesting is that, you know, when this stuff gets uncovered, uh, what, you know, the kind of could have, would have, should is, is that, you know, there's a lot of to stay on the top of Pokemon, but it applies to all kinds of uh, series. But uh, there's a lot of kind of Pokemon fan hacks uh, that come out over the years. Like uh, Brown version is probably the most famous. That's pretty old now. But, um, you know, a, a lot of these kind of uh, recently discovered sprites or, you know, like something like Gorochu, even though we just have the back sprite. But all <laughs> these kind of cut content ideas can be incorporated into these fan hacks. And I think uh, that's a good way to kind of keep the internalize or memorialize the cut content. The, the coulda, woulda, shouldas is for it to be in sort of like a fan hack where someone can re-release Fire Red or something like that mm-hmm. with what's been revealed as what would have been ideas that they would have had in the game, but they scrapped. Someone can make an, you know, an unofficial uh, remake of the game and they can include all that stuff. And I know most people don't play those games. I, I don't actually play those games myself, but I do think it's an interesting way to bring that cut content to life. For sure. Yeah. For me, I, I definitely 
agree with you guys, but I, I think it would be interesting, especially given some time for people to kind of talk about uh, maybe like after the series is done or maybe like long after things have settled, like maybe some guidebooks or things kind of explaining the origins of like what they thought about w- with the games and whatnot. That's why I really enjoy some of the E3 conferences and where they kind of dis- describe uh, the settings or maybe the things that influence the game development. I think that it would still be interesting to kind of read some of the things like that. And then to also hear developers opinions about how things were received. So if a late game feature was just introduced into the game and that's what made it into the final release version, and it's something that people really enjoyed. I think it'd be really interesting to hear from developers like, yeah, that wasn't something that even we even intended. Or maybe this was something that was a bug, uh, but people really took off with it. So then we really enjoyed seeing that, you know. So I think a little bit more honest communication. I really like what uh, Nintendo sort of, for some reason, they've only really done it with Zelda. But I really love they've made these uh, Hyrule Historia. I think it's called Hyrule Artifacts. And I think it's mm-hmm. the third one. And now they, there was one called uh, Breath of the Wild Masterworks that now they've, I think yeah. in November, they, they localized for into English. I think they're calling it, I forget, it's like the Book of the Champion or something, something like that. Exactly. And yeah. uh, where they've got all this concept art, including concept art for stuff that they didn't use, uh, you know, like a larger glider. Um, and in fact, even in the Japanese version of the book has some pictures of Link concept art for Link's family, which they actually cut out of the English version of the Breath of the Wild concept art book. Anyways, I'm getting off on kind of a tangent now, but yeah, I really like what they've done with Zelda. It would be great to see that with Pokemon, and that's kind of what I'm trying to recreate, at least for Generation 5 with these Sugimori mm-hmm. interviews, which is basically a coffee book with all the concept art and the kind of origin stories and you know, the, the what ifs. Yeah. I, just, I think it's great that Nintendo's done that with, with Zelda. It would be really great if they would do that with Pokemon. Well, if you release a book, I'll buy it. Yeah. Yeah. That's who. <laughs> I think we all know what would happen to me or anybody who released some kind of like a unofficial Pokemon story. <laughs> I'd be just like those, those emulator websites where I'm getting sued for, you know, millions mm-hmm. of dollars and Lord knows what else. Nintendo at the height of its empire was highly litigious. They sued the crap out of people, so let's not return to that. <laughs> I understand where they're coming from. It's unfortunate, you know, like there's been some fan games like that AM2R, the, another Metroid 2 remake, and there's been some other stuff that, uh, fan stuff over the years that they shut down. I understand why they did it. Um, it would be nice if they were a little bit more, you know, turn a blind eye to that kind of thing and some other kind of smaller publishers and developers have been um but i understand where they're coming from it's unfortunate but it is what it is Mm -hmm. yeah i think this is a good place to wrap things up uh does anybody have any final thoughts on this discussion uh, if, uh, if not, not uh, uh, just, just for the wrap-up, wrap uh, thank, thank you everyone, everyone for listening, and, and thank, thank you, Dr. Lava, for joining us. Um, um, all, all his wonderful work will be in the description, and, and we really, really thank you for coming on, on as, as a guest. Uh, you're, you're our first guest, guest and uh, thank, thank you for being open to the experience. So, so we, we really, really would like to say thank you for that. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was fun. For sure. Yeah, thanks for being on. I have one closing thing to say, Henry. That's okay. What's up? Um, to to the boys in the chat, you know, you are congratulations. <laughs> You're silly. 
Uh, if not, uh, make sure to follow us on Twitter and all of our social media accounts. I know Patrick has been really dying to send memes to people, so continue to follow our social media accounts. And uh, on iTunes, leave uh, comments and sub- or subscribe and then leave a rating because that helps. And Dr. Lava, do you have anything upcoming that you would like to talk about or kind of hints to? Uh, well, I've, like I said, I've just published that uh, Sugimori Sugi interview number three. I'm trying to still track down the rest of them, and I'll pretty much be spending probably at the rate I'm going the whole rest of the year on Generation 5 cut content and scrapped ideas. So that's what I'll be doing. And, uh, yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. It, it really was fun. Yeah. Yeah, I look forward to keep watching your stuff. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah, uh, we'll put all the descriptions to the stuff that we've talked about uh in the description below so you can see what we reference and then also watch dr lava's videos that's important we stress yes. it watch dr lava watch it so thanks guys yeah uh so with that everybody have a good day and continue to have fun i guess <laughs> don't level too high <laughs> <laughs> bye All the music you hear today is by Echo Music. Links will be in the description for his wonderful, wonderful music.